Fellowship Fayetteville, good morning. Would you stand with us? I want you to do something together. I want us to take a moment just to look around the room at who is here, maybe make some awkward eye contact with each other. Just, just remind yourself real quick that you're not alone this morning. Psalm uh, 139, we're reminded that it is good for people to dwell together in unity, and that's what we're doing this morning. We gather uh, on Sundays, the, the collection of our small groups on Sunday, to behold our King, to lift our voices to Him, to lift our eyes to Jesus. I'm reminded this morning of John chapter 14. It's, it's the night before. It's, it's Jesus' last night with His disciples. And the verse before the one that we're going to read, Thomas asked Jesus, he says, Lord, how will we know what to do? How will we know the way? And Jesus responds and says, I'm the way and I'm the truth. And so if you felt that at all, Lord, what do I do? How, how, how do I know what to do? I feel so alone. I don't, I don't feel like you're here with me. The same is for you to turn our eyes to Jesus. So I want us to read this together out loud as a family. Let's read this. John 14, 6 and 7. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In this song we're going to sing, we've sang it the last couple weeks together. It's still a newer one. But it's a song about dependence on our King, on Jesus. So let's sing this together.
you're the way, the truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch, and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the
this morning. God, as we turn our eyes towards you even more in worship, we're just so thankful that we can come in and be who we are as children of God this morning. This is a place for those that are having their best day or their worst day, uh, for those that are so aware of their brokenness this morning or those that are on a mountaintop rejoicing. Just thank you that we belong in your presence this morning and that we can see you more. Amen. Y'all can have a seat for a minute. Good morning and welcome. My name is Josh. I'm on the college team here. And uh, for some of y'all, if you're new here or maybe you've kind of just taken your, uh, we'll call it a COVID church sabbatical, we're glad you're here and we'd love for you to get connected uh, if you want to scan this QR code, it would help you get into a small group, place to serve, just kind of make a big church feel a little bit smaller. So we'd love to get y'all connected there. Also, if y'all have not heard of the podcast Sermon Notes yet, Sermon Notes, y'all have to check it out. Uh, as we're going through First Timothy, there's passages that are, are difficult, raises kind of some, some tough questions and 25 to 30 minute sermons just kind of don't do it can't answer every single question. And so some of our teaching pastors take some time, a little bit off the cuff, conversational, just answering some of the tough questions that the passage brings. And so the one for today, the sermon notes for today's sermon is already up there. And so maybe even on your way home today, y'all can take a listen to sermon notes uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those things. And so lastly, uh, they asked me to give kind of an update on the college ministry. And last time I was up here giving an update, we kind of got to talk a little bit about our Sunday night service. We got to talk about the, the small groups that we have, meeting at people's houses, and we, we love those things. But the heartbeat of our ministry, why we do what we do, is to see men and women in college have their lives radically transformed by the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's been so cool this semester we've We've seen that happen. We've just kind of been able to take a step back and see the Lord work in people's lives. We've actually had a baptism. Our very own Abby got baptized last week on Sunday night. Tonight, Graham's getting baptized, and next week, Thane's getting baptized. And so we're just seeing God work. Yeah. We're seeing God work, not only in a, in a big room like this, but just in the hearts and the lives of individuals, and that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do, and so it's amazing. And so as we continue to worship, I just kind of want to read a passage that's, that's been on my heart lately to kind of refocus who it is that we're worshiping. This Jesus, is, he's not just a good teacher or a, a moral example to follow, but he's God himself. So we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.
celebrate his faithfulness this morning. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope. Oh, I love that Colossians passage. God has revealed what was previously unknown for generations in Christ. And now Christ in us is the hope of glory. Well, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. I love that we're a Bible church. I love that we've read the Bible. We've sung scripture back to God. Now we're going to open God's word and study the Bible together. My name's Michael. I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I'm excited to be with y'all and continue our study of the book of First Timothy that we've been in for most of the fall. You know, studying First Timothy, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about leadership. Leadership's obviously really important to us here at Fellowship. Our mission statement is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And so as I was thinking about leadership, I started thinking about what happens when you have bad leadership. What happens when the leadership doesn't take you where you want to go? I started doing some reading on that. I wanted to share just a few examples of what bad leadership might look like. Some of you, like me, are old enough to remember this. 1985. The leadership of the Coca-Cola company looked at each other and they said, you know what, we've got inarguably the most popular drink in the history of the world. It's available all over the world in virtually every country. You can buy it literally anywhere. People love it. You know what we should do? We should change it. And they brought out new Coke. People who were around in 85, how well was that received? No, people are still mad about it over here. People lost their minds. You think panic buying at the beginning of COVID was bad. It was on the shelf for 79 days before Coke admitted they had made a major misstep. They pulled it. They brought back what they called Coca-Cola Classic, which we now call Coca-Cola. Bad leadership. All right, here's another one for you. Decca Records a very famous, successful, well-established record company. In 1961, they got a demo tape. They listened to it, and they said, you know what? This whole guitar band thing, it's a fad. We're gonna pass on these guys. Can you imagine? In 1964, the Beatles sold $50 million worth of records just in the U.S., and of course, went on to become generally considered the greatest rock band of all time. The leadership at Decca Records, bad decision. All right, here's one that's a little more recent that we can all relate to. In 2000, the leadership at Netflix approached Blockbuster Video wanting to sell the company. In 2000, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix for $50 million. And from the accounts I read, Blockbuster's leadership basically laughed them out of the room. Fast forward to 2014, Blockbuster closes their last corporate-owned store, fires 25,000 employees, and declares for bankruptcy. Meanwhile, Netflix today is worth $238 billion with a B dollars. Oh, Blockbuster. Bad leadership. Bad leadership. But all these examples I've shared of bad leadership, they cost money, which matters. They cost jobs, which are important. But when we think about leadership in the church, the stakes are so much higher. Yes, it involves money, which is, is important. And yes, leadership in the church affects jobs. Believe me, I know I work for this place. It matters. But what's so much more important is the leadership of the church impacts the kingdom of God. We're talking about the immortal souls of men and women here. We're talking about the reputation of God himself. And so it's important that we spend some time thinking about what God says about leadership in the church. And that's just what we're going to find the Apostle Paul doing 
as he writes his letter to young Timothy. So I want to invite you, go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to start chapter three of 1 Timothy today. If you brought your 1 Timothy study guide, we're in week five, or if you've got your Bible or your digital device, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy beginning in chapter three so you maybe can make some notes or underline some things in the text. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you, this book, 1 Timothy, it's a letter. It's a letter written by the great apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. And we saw at the very beginning of the letter, he says, stay there in Ephesus. And so I want to remind you, Ephesus was a big city. It was an important city in the ancient world. And it was a a hub, a center for pagan worship. There was a giant temple there dedicated to pagan worship. And so this young church planter and pastor Timothy, man, he's got a tough assignment. He's got a young church. It's kind of a rowdy church. And so what we've seen the last couple of weeks is Paul calling for Timothy to bring order and good doctrine to this church. And before we read the passage this morning, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Try the best you can, I know this is hard to do, to just set aside what you already know about church leadership. Set aside your previous experiences or how you might have seen this applied here or elsewhere, and let's just see together what the text has to say. Let's let it speak for itself. And then near the end, we'll talk about how we apply this in our setting here at Fellowship. So let's begin reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. You know what the first thing I noticed when I read this passage was? He doesn't mention any of the things we normally associate with good leadership. He doesn't mention skill, ability, Charisma, vision, everything on this list is about character. So let's look at it a little more closely. He starts off by saying, hey, this is a trustworthy saying. This is one of three times in the book of 1 Timothy that he set something up by saying, hey, this is a trustworthy saying. This is something you've heard that you can believe. And the trustworthy saying this time is that if someone desires to be a leader in the church, that's a good thing. Man, I hope some of y'all are are reading this right now and thinking, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a spiritual leader. I want to help take this church to where God wants to see it go. That phrase, noble task, it's literally a beautiful work. He says, hey, leading the church is a beautiful work. But as we just read, those who are called to this noble task, this beautiful work, man, God's gonna hold them to a high standard. So right off the bat, we have to say this. Yes, desiring to lead is a good thing, a noble thing, a beautiful work. But at the same time, overly desiring position, power, reputation, what's an automatic disqualifier? I've joked before that anyone who's willing to run for president of the United States probably shouldn't be president of the United States. There's a little kernel of truth in that, isn't there? So this is a noble aspiration, but the aspiration shouldn't be to achieve a position or a title. It should be to have this kind of character. The aspiration should be to be the kind of person who could fill this role, beginning 
with being above reproach. In other words, it'd be hard to find somebody to say something bad about this guy. Now, let's just get this out of the way at the beginning. We're not talking about perfection, right? No one's perfect. If we were looking for perfect people, we'd have nobody in charge. No, what we're talking about is somebody that nobody has a legitimate complaint about. Now, there's always going to be somebody out there who has something to say about anybody. Right now, there's somebody out there that doesn't like the way you mow your yard. And they're probably on your POA board. No, we're talking about somebody that doesn't have people lining up to say how they cheated them, how they were dishonest to them, how they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And then look at the next set of characteristics. They all have to do with his personal life, his private life. First of all, he doesn't mess around on his wife. The literal translation of the Greek here is he's a one-woman man. I love that. That's exactly what I want to be. I want to be a one-woman man. And I like it because it kind of sounds like a country song, doesn't it? But the next one doesn't sound like a country song at all. He's temperate. In other words, he's not given to extremes. He's self-controlled. He's respectable. And as your community guy around here, I love the next one. He's hospitable. Man, the overseer of the church, he should be a guy whose home is always open to guests. He's always got an extra seat at his table. He's the kind of guy who will take a half a serving of mashed potatoes so he can make sure his unexpected guest gets some too. All of these things, all five of them, they happen at home. They happen out of the public view. They don't happen on the stage. They don't happen on social media. They happen where no one's looking. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how we should be able to observe our leaders' lives to know if they're trustworthy teachers or not. Here, God says, how the church leadership conducts their private lives matters. It matters to God. And when we're thinking about who we're going to follow, it should matter to us. I notice he also says they should be able to teach. So does that mean that the overseers need to be good communicators? That they should be able to put together a PowerPoint presentation? Should we be watching TED Talks to find our leaders? No, that's not what he means at all. It means the overseers should be able to understand and then communicate the truths of Scripture. Think for a second about who Paul's writing to. This is a culture that has a literacy rate of 10, maybe in some well-educated places, 15%. So just being able to read and understand the scripture was a valuable skill. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to make sure that these leaders can understand and then teach the truth about God's word to the church. This is the answer to the false teacher problem in Ephesus, isn't it? Having leaders who know what's true and what's false and can communicate the difference. By the way, if you're taking notes, jot down Titus 1, 9, and 10. That's a great cross-reference for 1 Timothy 3, 2. There, Paul tells Titus to get guys who can teach, and he gives a fuller explanation of why. Then in verse 3, he begins the knots. He's told us who this leader should be. Now he tells us who he should not be. He shouldn't be a big drinker. Now, fellowship's not a church that teaches total abstinence from alcohol, but we do teach against drunkenness. And Paul says, you don't want a guy who has a tendency to have one too many. He's not a brawler. He's not violent. That word violent in the Greek, it means giver of blows. He's not a guy who always wants to settle everything with his fists. Guys, don't most of you have a friend like that? A friend who has a tendency to have one or two more than he should, and then he wants to fight everybody? That's not the guy you want in charge of your church. Really, when I look at this verse, this isn't a guy I want leading anything. I mean, would you want your daughter to come home and say, Mom, Dad, I found Mr. Wright. He's the perfect guy. He's a drunk. He fights all the time. He quarrels with everybody, and he's greedy as can be. No. No. 
That guy's not fit to marry, and he's also not fit to lead a church. And Paul's going to make that connection because he's going to say, if you can't trust this guy to take care of his own household, don't put him in charge of the whole church. Look at the next verse. He's got to manage his family well in a manner worthy of respect. The dominant metaphor for the church, not just in 1 Timothy, but throughout the pastoral epistles, we call them, the, the letters that are written about how to do church. The dominant metaphor is a family. We're brothers and sisters. Treat the older folks like your mother and father. Treat the younger folks like your own kids. And notice that he says, if a leader can't manage his own home, how can he manage the household of faith that is the church? And notice he's not a domineering leader. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, go out, you, go out there and find you a guy whose wife and kids are scared straight. No, he, he runs his household in a way that's worthy of respect. Again, he's not perfect. Nobody is, and certainly no household is, but this is a guy whose home is known as a place where God is honored and a watching world, including non-believers, respect the way that family does life. And then he gives us two final characteristics. He says he shouldn't be a recent convert because that might be dangerous for him and for the church. I think a lot of us, when we were 25, 27, we thought to ourselves, put me in charge of this place. I'll straighten some things out. We get a little older. We get seasoned. We don't think about things the way we used to. Things aren't as black and white as they once seemed. Here it says he might become conceited. In the Greek, it means he might be full of smoke. I love that. Reminds me of a phrase my dad would say. When he wasn't buying what somebody was saying, he'd say, ah, that guy's just blowing smoke. And it says he should have a good reputation with outsiders. Literally, it says he should have a beautiful witness. The truth is, y'all, people are watching. And some of them are actively rooting for our leaders to fail. Because if a leader at a church like this were to fall, it would vindicate their anti-God worldview. They want someone in leadership here to mess up so they can point at them and say, see, I told you they're a bunch of hypocrites. That's the devil's trap that he's mentioned, he mentions here. So those are our leaders. Look at this list. This is who God wants us to be looking for. These are the characteristics of someone who can lead the church. It's a pretty high bar, isn't it? And our job as a church is to keep the bar there. We can't lower our standards. We can't make exceptions. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's second chances. But when we're considering who's gonna take the God-appointed role of leading this church, we've gotta use these biblically high standards. So what does that look like here at Fellowship? How do we apply this? Well, I've tipped my hand a little bit by putting the word elder on that slide. The word that's used in our First Timothy passage here is episkopoi, which combines two ideas into one word, servant and leader. In some extra biblical text, texts, it's used to mean one who visits and oversees. But there's another biblical word we find in the New Testament it's presbyteroi, which is translated elder. And so episkopoi comes from kind of the Greek world that Paul was writing into, and presbyteroi comes from the Jewish world. The synagogue had an elder. And the New Testament takes both of those words and uses them synonymously. They mean the same thing. And so men who are called to play this role of overseer at fellowship, we call Elders, and this passage, along with Titus 1, are our starting point for selecting these elders. And we're gonna entrust to them the leadership of this whole church. Two, soon to be three campuses, multiple congregations and ministries. Obviously, that's a lot of responsibility to put on one person. 
So we don't. We have what we call a plurality of elders. We have a group of men who meet these biblical characteristics, who gather together to make the decisions for our church. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that before we get out of here this morning. But first, I want to press on in the passage because he's about to shift gears from overseers to what he calls deacons, diakonos. Look with me at verse 8. In the same way. Okay, so similar but not identical are deacons. Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, depending on the tradition that you came from or what kind of church maybe you grew up in, you might have some idea of what a deacon is. But in the Greek, the word just means servant. And there's actually no place in the New Testament where deacons or servants are given oversight responsibility. So we really might just think of them as as ministers, as people who carry out acts of service in Jesus' name. Look at their qualifications. They're very similar, aren't they? People of character, worthy of respect, not big drinkers. They don't try to cheat people. I noticed, though, that where it said overseers or elders should be apt to teach, it doesn't say that about deacons or servant ministers. Here it says they must hold the deep truths of the faith. The Greek word there is mysterion, mystery. We saw it in that Colossians passage earlier. The mystery that's now been revealed, that salvation is available in King Jesus. He says these servant ministers, these deacons, they've got to hold on to that truth of the gospel with a clear conscience. That means that their life It's going to match their message. He goes on to say, they must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In other words, make sure they can hold on to that gospel message. They understand it and then that they can live it out. If they can, let them serve. Literally, let them serve as servants. Now, verse 11 is interesting. We spent some time on that Sermon Notes podcast that Josh was talking about earlier discussing this. He mentions the women. Now, we can read it two ways. Some of the translations you might have in front of you translated as the deacon's wives. The most literal translation is what the NIV goes with, the women. Now, it seems a little bit odd to me if he's referring to their wives that the deacon's wives would need to meet some certain marks where he didn't bring that up for the overseer's wives. And so I think maybe the best way to read this is that he's talking about women who are servant ministers. We know that Paul uses this same word, diakonos, to describe Phoebe in Romans 16.1. So maybe it's fair to read this that he's saying, Women who serve the church in a role as servant ministers, not overseers, ministers, should be worthy of respect, should watch their tongue, and that they should be trustworthy. And then in verse 12, I feel like now he turns to the men, and he says, and the men must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. So let's ask the same question about this passage that we ask about elders. We don't have anyone at fellowship who carries the title deacon. Just as, to be fair, we don't have anyone who carries the title overseer. But just as we apply the overseer passage to the office of elder, we apply this passage about deacons, diakonos, to our servant ministry leaders. So who fits that role here? Well, our staff. Our staff definitely fills this role. I'm not an elder. I'm not an overseer. I am, however, a servant minister serving under the authority of the elders, and so I need to meet these character requirements as set forth in Scripture. And that's true of all of our staff, our worship staff, 
our student ministry staff, our Fayette kids and early childhood team staff, people we all should be aiming to meet these characteristics. But I would take it a step further. I think every single small group leader we have is a servant minister, is a diakonos, leading community groups, women's groups, men's groups, leading CR step studies, leading our student cell groups. Right now, we have servant ministers, diakonos, leading children's small groups all over that end of the building. All of those people should meet these characteristics. And so we have a church full of deacons, a church full of diakonos, servants, ministers, men and women called to this standard of conduct because servant leaders in the church are held to a high standard. Whether we're talking about our elders or our overseers in this passage, or we're talking about our servant ministers, our diakonos, staff and non-staff alike, and our job at fellowship, as I said earlier, is to hold that bar high. We have to see leadership and service as a calling. And we need to see our job as a church as equipping as many people as possible to take on these roles. Why? Because it's a noble thing to aspire to. It's a beautiful work to get to be part of it. Now you might be thinking to yourself, why would I want to sign up for that? Why would I want to have to meet a higher standard? Why would I want to open up my private life to scrutiny? Is it worth it? Paul thinks so. Look at verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Man, what a reward. What a reward to have great standing in the family of God and to have great assurance. When we're serving, we have great assurance of our faith in Christ Jesus because that's when we see him at work. That's when we see him moving and it builds our faith. I have a friend named Sean Vollendorf. A lot of you know him. He works with a parachurch ministry that our church partners closely with. And for a while, he was stationed right here in Fayetteville, worshiped with us here. Now he's out west trying to grow that ministry there. But many times I heard Sean say this. Right now, you're as close to God as you want to be. Man, I hated it when he said that. It's so convicting because it's true. So you want to be closer to God? You want to have a sweeter walk with him? Serve. I got the privilege of sitting down with a brand new community group leader a couple weeks ago. He and his wife are, are multiplying a group out of one of our best community groups. I had so much fun hearing his story and talking about what was next for them. And I told him, you're going to pray more than you've been praying. You're going to study your Bible more than you've been studying it. And I told him, you know what? Sometimes things are going to be hard. Leading a community group can get messy. But the reward, you're going to have an excellent standing with the people in that group. And man, you're going to have great assurance of your faith in Christ Jesus. God's going to bless you in this. Hey, before we close, I want to roll back to the, the first half of the passage. And I want to talk a little about, bit about elders. Joe and Catherine, Come on up here. I've invited Joe and Catherine Ross to join us. Joe serves on our elder board. He's got his wife, Catherine, with him, and they live here in Fayetteville. They worship here in Fayetteville. And my favorite thing about both of you, you lead a community group here in Fayetteville, which I appreciate. And I just wanted you guys to get to know them a little bit this morning. I wanted to put a face on this idea that we're talking about. So Joe, Catherine, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Joe, you were telling me the other day about the moment when you answered your phone, and it was John Dyer on the elder board, and he had a surprising request for you. Share that with us. Well, it was several months back, and I was uh, at home on a Saturday morning, and my phone rang, and I saw the uh, message that it was John Dyer, which uh, wasn't a surprise because he's a friend. Uh, he was also uh, one of the former elders. And so I answered, and he said, uh, good morning, and uh, I've got a message I want to... Uh, let you know that the elders would like to nominate you for the elder board. And uh, I was pretty shaken, uh, kind of surprised. Uh, and I said, you know, 
uh, I'm not sure. I need to uh, discuss this with my wife. I need to pray about it. And uh, like a, a good uh, salesman, he said, okay, well, you've got an hour to make a decision. <laughs> John knows how to get things done. All right, I didn't tell you I was going to do this to you. Okay. It won't be a surprise the next service, but I've got a recent picture of the elder board. Joe, did you not get the blue shirt memo or what? <laughs> there we go. Fable's always got to be different. Joe's wearing a green shirt. This is our current elder board. And so, Joe, tell us a little bit about what it means that we're an elder-led church, that the, these men are leading our church. Well, um, I don't know if all of the congregations are aware uh, that our church is led by elders, and I've never been a member of a church that, uh, that had that hierarchy. And it originated from the three original members in the congregation, and uh, in their wisdom and, and, and great humility, uh, they decided that rather than being a pastor-led church, uh, they wanted to be an elder-led church. And so these uh, three ministers gave up a lot of authority and power uh, for what they thought was the good of the church. And uh, in my mind, it uh, has turned out that way. Mm. And it's biblical from what uh, we've seen it, this it's morning. It's biblical. Uh, the elder-led church, we, we make decisions. Uh, we determine the direction. We make the decisions uh, through God's leading. And I found that it's not uh, any one uh, domineering personality, but uh, typically a group of humble men making these decisions. Yeah, so, so here's, here are those men that you're talking about. Tell us about these, these guys. Um, tell us about your experience as an elder. I remember my first elder meeting. Uh, I was scared to death, uh, a little bit uh, apprehensive. Am I adequate for this? Uh, uh, what's going to happen? So I got there, and everybody was extremely out of their way, friendly, welcoming. Uh, everybody left their egos at home. They were humble men. And uh, I found their great prayers and that all of these men are just like us, uh, just like you. Uh, we're not special. Uh, but uh, what we do want to do is uh, promote God's word, uh, lead the church, serve well, uh, and honor God. Mm, I appreciate that. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. So, Catherine... I know you're not in the elder meetings, you're not there when they're gathered, but you've gotten to know these guys and, and you've gotten to see who, who leads our church. Tell me what it's been like for you just seeing the elder board up close. I've been encouraged by what I've heard about what's going on at the meetings. It was really special that all the elders embraced Joe and they encouraged him and a few said they were very humbled and surprised and didn't feel adequate to, to serve and um, with that, it was, that was their calling. I, Joe's the new kid on the block. He's been an elder for just a few months and I remember the, the first meeting, I thought, well, he should be home by now. And I checked my app, and he was still at church. And I checked it again a little while later. He was still at church. And he got home, and he said, well, we, we've been praying. And they have been unified and very prayerful and then planning and then prayerful and planning some more. And it's been a great experience to see that. As Joe just said, they're, they're regular people. They're friends, they're fathers and grandfathers, they're Razorback fans, fishermen. Um, they've, some have had health crisis, some have had life crisis, but they all have loved Jesus and want to be more like him. Mm, that's great. That's exactly what we're looking for, isn't it, church? We're looking for men who want to be more like Jesus and want to help all of us do the same. Well, I want to say thanks to y'all. Thanks not just for joining us today, but thanks for serving on the elder board. Catherine, thanks for prayerfully supporting your husband in this. And if there's shepherding elders, I know there are. I've seen a few here. If you're a shepherding elder, if you're currently serving on the elder board, I want to invite you to come up here. I want you to bring your wife with you. So those of you, if you've ever served on our elder board, come on up here. I want y'all to just see. I bet most of you know some of these people who have served us as elders, who have, who have supported their husbands as they've been elders. As Catherine said, there are friends, there are doctors, there are insurance agents, there are pastors, there are community group leaders, and they've done a great job just shepherding our church. And you know what? Over these last few months, and I didn't tell you I was going to say this either, but over these last few months, our elders have led us so well through some really difficult terrain where they were being criticized on either side by every decision they made. And yet as a staff, 
And I think for y'all as a body, we knew that men were prayerfully seeking the Lord and trying to lead our church through really an unprecedented time in our history. And so I appreciate all of y'all, our shepherding elders, our elders. Diane, come on up here. I want y'all to meet. This is Diane Matthews. Diane is a diaconos. <laughs> She's a ministry leader. She shepherds our women in community groups. She's releasing women to release leaders and disciple them. And Diane, I want to ask you, if you would, pray for fellowship and pray specifically for our elder board. Yes, I would love to. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for our church, for the leadership, for the, I can't say that word, but for all the leaders and for especially our elders. Um, for placing each one of them over us to protect us, to guide us, to make decisions for us. I pray for um, each person in our church, Lord, that you would put on their heart to pray for them, for protection, for spiritual protection, for, uh, for them to, to gain your wisdom, your insight, your vision for this church, Lord. Um, Oh, my goodness, Lord, you've blessed our church so much, so much. And we pray for all three uh, locations right now, Father. Just um, there's so many details. There's so many things that are going on and decisions that need to be made. Lord, I, I just thank you again for each man. I, I ask protection for their, uh, their marriage, their children, their health, and uh, mostly their walk with you, Lord. Thank you again for Michael's message and for your word. And it's in your son's precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Diane. So Hank and Diane will be in the prayer room. That's one of the things our shepherding elders do. So if you'd like to pray with them or be prayed for, I'd invite you to go through those doors to your right. Fellowship, we love you. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great week.